the new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. I trust that you're rejoicing in the Lord today as we look at this subject of harvest thanksgiving. Let's pray, shall we? Loving Father, we do pray for the expression of the word of God this morning. May you take me as a vessel, as an instrument, as one to convey the message that you've laid upon my heart. May hearts be attentive to that which you would desire brethren to hear father be with my heart direct my thoughts father may it be a time to your glory and to your honor as we open the word of god this morning we pray in jesus name amen the subject of harvest thanksgiving is truly an acknowledgement of god's goodness and his gracious provision i'm thankful for these displays I love going to the Easter show. You talk about Easter bags, Pastor Matthews, the Easter bag. The, but the garden pavilion and the displays. And I think back yesteryear, I was thinking, I probably remember seeing a display here going back 65 years or something. I'm going back. I came as here as a young lad um, in my older primary days. And I still remember, and there were the... Um, there were the corn plants and the wheat there was the big pumpkins and marrow and tomatoes zucchini potatoes it was back in the days of bigger yards and um, fruit trucks and bigger bigger backyards where people could grow gardens and i know people still have vegetable gardens but it's being more restricted because of urbanisation and because of apartments and smaller blocks and it's not quite the same as yesteryear. There was the greengrocer as well as the corner store just about on every block and so you had the access and the availability to those things like the greengrocer. Now we have the Coles and the supermarkets and I was reflecting back on that and I think it was round about um, 1966 we, we we had the maybe 65 66 the roselands and the bankstown squares the the big west fields of this world began to come and then of course the, the bunnings there weren't the small hardware stores anymore there weren't the small corner stores to the same degree there weren't the green groceries and you could walk in the butchers on nearly every little complex of shops um, it was around but the era has changed and the display has changed as well and I was reflecting that this is still a very much a representation of the harvest because it's the cereals it's the grains it's the fruit it's tingest and packaged but yet it's available this is what our children and our grandchildren see it's it's our world at the moment um, I know there was COVID and there was restriction and some things were not on the shelves and we packed our pantries even more full to make sure we didn't run out. There was that emergency. But once upon a time, in Bible times, it was very much a survival thing that they needed the produce of the land and the products to grow. But today... Yet, even though packaged and tinned, they are still a beautiful reflection and they're more versatile and easier to um, 
be able to commute to those people in need. And they'll be more accessible and available and within reach of people in need. And they won't be as perishable within the time frame that the green grocery products straight from the land would have been. But the produce, the harvest thanksgiving, it's come from the Lord. As I shared earlier on, the in America there's Thanksgiving. In other countries they have Thanksgiving. In people's lives they have times of Thanksgiving. Families can have Thanksgiving. It's a realm and a domain where we can be thankful of heart. Several years ago, Margaret and I took the grandchildren to Fairfield City Farm. They were our youngest grandchildren. And to see there, just west of Fairfield, the um, crops, the cows and milking, the chickens and ducks, the sheep and sheep shearing, it was just a reflection of the country within a city domain. But that's becoming a less common um, frequenting place and we need to see that country. At the Easter show, we see those garden pavilions and you realise, wow, that this is what's happening. But you drive through the country and you see the wheat or the canola or the barley, you see the produce, you see the products and you love that country scene and that country life. But it's God's goodness in physical provision for which we come with Harvest Thanksgiving. Because God provided physically, and that's the first point we'd like to look at and then look at the subject of God's spiritual provision and then that element of praise and thankfulness. But in verse 11 of Psalm 65, we read, Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. It's an interesting way of describing the way that the year has been, but David is expressing that which has occurred. And David expresses that it's God who has crowned the year with thy goodness. And, and coming through this is the goodness of God that God in his goodness has provided and he's crowned the year with goodness and that is to put his favour upon, to fill up and to make glorious and joyful. The year was made joyful and glorious. It's the year that was crowned with this glory. A full and plentiful harvest is the crown of glory. Thou crowneth the year with thy goodness and thy goodness is that which is encompassing or surrounding, enveloping the year. And that goodness is producing that full and abundant harvest. It's God's favour that he is encompassing or crowning that year because God has provided and it's with his goodness. It's the goodness of God that's been provided and that's why there's been a blessed provision. We read in verse 11 as well that the, thy paths drop fatness and on to verse 12, they drop upon the pastures of the wilderness and the little hills rejoice on every side. It's thy paths drop fatness. I, I think of paths and I have an image of a path that's downtrodden and beaten. Um, a decade or two ago, we were in New Zealand and I still remember looking at the green pastures and through the green pastures, you can see these tracks. And I mean, visible paths going through. And from a distance, even with glasses or without glasses, you could see these tracks. 
and it was the trodden path of the sheep as they were moved from one point to another. They were on this beaten track and they were beating it down. But in God, when he visits, leaves these paths and drop fatness. And that's the word for abundance. The fatness is the word for abundance. And it's not lean, it's abundance that has been provided. And God has given it to the land as a sign of health and provision that God has dropped along his way. It introduces us to his work because it is all God's work. You look at those verses, even 9 and 10. Thou, that is, God visitest the earth. It's thou greatly enrichest it. Thou preparest them corn. Thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges. You read through it and it's all about thou, thee, thine. God is being acknowledged. The farmer will labour and the farmer will labour hard. I spent some years when I began teaching, three years down near Berrigan, near Finlay, in the Riverina. And while I was living on the farms, they were wheat sheep farms. But on those farms, I would see the labours of those farmers. They were up at sunrise and they wouldn't be in till late and they would be, and whether it was fencing or the animals or the crops or the machinery or the errands or the planting, the fertilising, it was, it was work. But yet God is acknowledging, David is acknowledging, it's God who is doing this work. It's God's work, not man's work. God visits, we read in verse 9. And visitors come and it's God visiting the earth and when God visits the earth we read there are these drops of mercy providing an abundance for his needy creatures because it's God who is visiting and he provides this goodness that's why the year is crowned with his goodness thou waterest the earth and we need that water, we need that sustenance, we need that provision. And as God who does the watering, we're not in drought restrictions now, but I still remember that. And the bucket brigade, whether I was carrying the buckets or my children or my wife, we were on the bucket brigade because plants needed to be watered. In these areas like even around Berrigan, and Finley, there were crops and it was not irrigated in the place where we were where I was at Osborne World Public School, but the, the, the thousand acre property was totally dependent on the rain from heaven. There was no way you could provide the buckets for that thousand acres. It all had to come from God. The farmer would plant by faith and wait for that rain to come so that the seed would germinate and come forth out of the soil. It was a wait and it was provided that God would visit and water the earth. And the psalmist is acknowledging that. God enriches it with the rivers of God. The rain does something. At, we are now Talawong, Schofield's area. We drive through an area that's still a little rural. And as we drive through there, it was just brown. It was dead. It was, it, it was really off. But even after some recent showers we've had out there, the green is starting to come. It's starting to freshen up and the rain brings it, the rivers of water. 
the water, the sustenance is brought to the ground and it brings the enrichment, the minerals, the sustenance. I know on these properties they add these minerals and fertilisers and Bunnings is popular for the fertilisers for the crop or the garden or the plants, but yet that rain brings something. You can put water from the tap, but then once God provides that rain, the minerals and the enrichment that comes to that ground is very precious. God prepares corn, the grain, the wheat. We read in John about except the corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. So you can put that seed in that jar and it's going to sit there in the garden shed and it's going to pass by its use-by date. It's got to be planted. It's interesting to read about the corn. Sometimes it's not the cob on the corn, it's still just the corn. Sometimes it's that corn of wheat, it's that grain of wheat. But... Regardless, let's say it's corn, it's, it was interesting to read that it's a cultivated plant. It's not something that grows wild. S strawberries can grow and they just run and they creep and they move about. Others can be just growing wild out. Some plants and herbs can grow wild, but corn has to be planted. And that they were saying that it, it, unless it's cultivated, unless it's sown, it would become extinct. It's got to be planted, the corn. It's not going to be carrying on and that field will spring up more corn next year like a perennial. It's got to be planted. And so God has prepared that corn. On those farming communities, I still remember those huge Hessian bags and they weren't of garden soil, they were of seed. And they'd open the bags and they were just seed. And because there were many for the, for the machinery to take them along and it was planted along in the furrows on the fields. But yet they were in bags, they were stored, it was provided and God has prepared the grain. The psalmist is acknowledging it's God who establishes or fixes the grain and it's set apart for the food of man for man's sustenance and God's and his provision. Because in that land of Israel, there were not the shops that needed to be grown. And for their sustenance and for their provision, they needed it. And it was to be grown and God provided. No wonder they were thankful for the harvest because it was their lifeblood, their provision. God waters the ridges. The moisture to the soil is needful and like the ridges the the watersheds where the water would run down to the valleys it was it was provided it was refreshing it was moisturizing to that land it was god-given rain and it was a softening of the earth and the soil god settles the furrows the furrows have been made for the seed to be sown and god provides that moisture that will come and that soil that was maybe hard even rock hard, um, is softened by that rain that has come upon that land. It's been loosened and freshed and the plant springs forth. But it's God who gives the growth. It's God, thou visits the earth, thou enriches it with the river of God, thou preparest corn, thou hast provided for it, thou waterest the ridges, 
Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. No wonder he comes to this climax that thou hast crowned the year with thy goodness and thy paths drop fatness. And that's why the psalmist is saying, look at the harvest. Be grateful for all that has been provided. We read on to God's provision in verses 11 to 13. The more specifically now 13 the pastures are clothed with flocks um, it's just be I still remember a moment um, heading down that way towards the riverina stopping off at Gundagai I think it was a family stop we we stopped for a I don't know toilet stop or cup of tea and it was at the dog of the tucker box there the, the side side um, garage and restrooms that were there at Gundagai but you look back at the countryside and it was just beautiful and green and the flocks were just covering that hillside. The pastures had covered like clothing and it was the flocks up there. I thought for a while it was maybe sulphur-crested cockatoos, but it was sheep <laughs> up there. And because of the distance, they looked smaller, but it was sheep up there on the hillside. Just a beautiful setting and a beautiful scene of God's goodness and grace. He has crowned the year with goodness when you consider all that God has provided. The valleys are also covered over with corn. The pastures, the crop, the provision, and you could imagine it, if the corn has grown, God has brought the waters and the enrichment and those plants have just grown and the produce is there, then the farmer is just so grateful and so thankful unto the Lord because it's food for the table. It's food for the family. It's sustenance. And the dad, the provider for the family, is saying, I give thanks unto the Lord for his gracious provisions today because God has provided. People in this era were totally dependent on the land and I can't help but stress that it was that survival state that they needed every bit that could be provided and they were thankful for the physical provision it was a harvest thanksgiving because God had provided their sustenance that they could survive I think back to those pilgrims in America in 1621 when they went there there wasn't the food available for them and they had to plant it prepare it and God provided the corn God provided the sustenance God provided the rain the rivers and they were able to survive over that period of time and they were grateful under the God of the harvest may we be thankful as we see God's provision and I pray that you'll be thankful for your meal tables too. I know sometimes young people can sometimes put up their nose to what's been provided. I know that husbands can sometimes put up their nose to that which has been provided. Likewise, it can go the other way, that wives can react to what's been provided. Or you're somewhere and something's been provided, be grateful for the provision, the heart of the provider, the situation in which you have found yourself and be thankful 
under the Lord. There's that thankfulness needs to be very much the case. But God provides spiritually as well as physically because life wasn't just about the land and about those provisions. Um, life is not only about the harvest because the man could grow grain in abundance and build barns and bigger barns and yet his life may be taken from him. In the psalmist we read that when a man dieth he shall carry nothing away. Remember I was at a graveside at um, Warrenora it was and there was a and it was a quote from Job 1 and it was the Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord had given and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But in that context in Job, it talks about naked I came into this world and naked I'll return. We can't take anything out. And that's the point that God is making, that we can get abundance of provision, we can get barns and build bigger barns, but then if it's a, what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Um, he needs Christ and we each one need to have that saving relationship with Christ. It's not just about the physical provision. The believers, the psalmist also thought about the spiritual provision. God's forgiveness. And in verse 3 we read of Psalm 65, Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. The psalmist was saying those iniquities, those transgressions, those sins, those times when I've fallen short of the mark, they prevail against me. They're strong, they're mighty, they're great against me. It's not expressing how they're prevailing against him, whether in accusations, and there were many, for King David. There were many. There were those where it was besetting sins, like even when he went in unto Bathsheba, he had to live with the guilt of that sin. And you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 where he had to come before the Lord and ask the Lord for forgiveness and to have those sins purged. He needed to come to Christ. He needed to find that forgiveness and that cleansing. But it's not just here an individual iniquity, it's saying that our iniquities, he's making it a corporate, and so it comes back to the children of Israel. It's as a nation and individuals within the nation, not just David, but there's a pathway of forgiveness, a pathway of cleansing. Purge is to forgive, to cleanse, to pardon, to make atonement for, to cover, to put off. And in this day, that was very much a reality, that they could come to God through sacrifice and find that forgiveness that was found as they pleaded before the Lord and acknowledged their sin before a holy God. We read in 1 John chapter 1 um, concerning this whole very thought of confession because even for us, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's 1 John 1, 8. 
But in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But we need to confess, we need to acknowledge, we need to name it as it is, call it as it is. Come before the Lord and make right that wrong that we have committed before a holy God. We need to confess and make it right because God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that you're not living with your sins, that you have brought it to the cross, you've come to Christ, that you that might be hindering you from being thankful because it's dragging you down, that guilt. But come to Christ, find that forgiveness, know the forgiveness that is there because God has not provided just that natural provision, that physical provision, but he's also provided that spiritual provision. Iniquities prevail, but so does the purging if we come to God in the right way. Reading onward there, just very briefly, blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. And I couldn't help but think that with forgiveness comes acceptance and enabling and the presence of God, it brings you back into that fellowship with God. It brings you there to that point of that fellowship with God. And the psalmist knew it. King David knew it. And in this whole context of a psalm that was acknowledging the harvest, it goes on to say, We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even thy holy temple. And truly, it is that point of joy to dwell in the house of the Lord and to know that you're there as a son, as a child, as a daughter. You're there as a child of the king. You're there with the Lord as your saviour and as your God. And I pray that you have that right relationship with God, that you understand it's not just thankfulness for the harvest, the physical provision, but it's also thankfulness for the spiritual provision because God provides for the soul. You can have all of this but not have Christ, then in a sense that you are in that very miserable state of being without a spiritual saviour. That leads us on to point B under this heading of spiritual provision, but it's Christ the first fruits. And if you can please turn with me to first Corinthians chapter fifteen and verse twenty two. First Corinthians fifteen and verse 22, we're reading here concerning the first fruits. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, and everyone in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. We're going to turn in a moment to Leviticus where we read of the first fruits. And that was a type or indication of Christ who was to come and it's acknowledging that Christ is the first fruits. We're going to go back to the harvest in Leviticus and see how the people brought in the sheaf of the first fruits. The first of the first fruits were brought unto the Lord. 
in the temple. And it's a provision where Christ is the first of the first fruits. And we read of it here that Christ, that as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. In the context of this passage, we read in verses 3 to 5, the gospel. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. We read of Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. And the gospel is that Christ died, that he was buried and that he rose again. And that's part of the integrity of the gospel because it was verifying the whole integrity of Christ and that he was God the Son whose blood was shed on Calvary's tree. It's a proof of that resurrection and of that ministry that life that blood that was shed on calvary's tree but we read on that there were those who there were many witnesses of that resurrection and we read on that in the next few verses but then we read there were those who were doubting christ's resurrection and in verse 12 now if christ be preached that he rose from the dead how say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead there were those who were saying there's no resurrection of the dead. And the Apostle Paul, the apologetic, was coming forth with the truth that Christ is risen from the dead. And, and he was proving that Christ is. And we read of that in verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He, he goes on, and if you read through that, the, the few verses from 12 to 19, you see that we would be, if our, in this life only, we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable if there's no resurrection of the dead. Because Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And then we read that those who are in Christ will also be raised and be with Christ for eternity. That's all part of that salvation that resurrection and this passage of 1 Corinthians 15 is confirming all of this but it's that subject of the first fruits that we wanted to verify verse 20 but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall deliver up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. It's Christ is risen. Christ is risen and he's become those first fruits. And as we look at Leviticus, you'll see how it's in Adam we all died. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He was our federal head as a man. 
But in Christ he came, and for those who are in Christ, we shall be made alive. In Christ there is that life and that resurrection. That is found in Christ. In Adam is found death. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. For by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. But Christ is that one who came that we might have life, and we need to be thankful for that life that is in Christ, but also came the resurrection, because Christ is the first fruits. If we could now turn back to Leviticus chapter 23, please, verses 9 to 11. The Old Testament, Leviticus 23, 9 to 11. We won't read a long portion because of the hour, but just a few verses of Leviticus chapter 23. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And ye shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, and be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. Now this is the the harvest, this is the first fruits, and they were to bring the sheaf um, of, 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 the, of the harvest, corn or wheat or whatever it might be, under the priest. It was an acknowledgement that God has preserved the seed, the harvest has been provided, and it's here and it's being presented in the temple as the first fruits. In, if we had time, we could look at the other feast because. In verse 4 of Leviticus 23, we read of the Passover. Christ was crucified on the Passover, the 14th day of the first month at even as the Lord's Passover. And this was all a type of Christ as well. When, when we see Christ, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, looking at the righteousness of Christ is the next day and then it was the first fruits it was the christ is risen it was the first day of the week it was when christ had risen from the dead he is the first fruits he was the first one who was raised in that sense and we have it here provided and it was the sheaf of the first fruits it was the harvest it was a time of thanksgiving and it was a time of acknowledgement and then we read in 1 Corinthians, it all ties Christ into that first fruits with use of blessing. We won't be reading it today, but um, from verse 15, we read of the wave offering or the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, the Feast of the Harvest. And it was 50 days after that resurrection, the seven, lots of seven weeks plus the Sabbath, it was the 50 days, which is the word Pentecost. And again, the fact of the Holy Spirit coming all tied back into this feast, this festival, this harvest festival, this festival of weeks, which related to the 50 days after the resurrection. And that ties in as well. There's a spiritual, <laughs> there's a spiritual application to it all and there was another one of the feast of tabernacles of the final ingathering of all the produce 
and they were to rest eight days from their labours. That was the ingathering. But God has provided in such a blessed way, and it's not just the physical, but it's the spiritual. And Christ ties into all of that in such a blessed and glorious way. Just quickly and finally, the godly response of praise and thankfulness. In Psalm 65, we read that word of gratitude, that praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. Unto thee shall the vow be performed. It's interesting because the Psalms are a psalm of praise. <laughs> this psalm was sung as a psalm of praise. But here we read in this context that Praise is silent. Praise waiteth for thee, O, o God, in Zion. Um, in God's holy place, the, the praise waits. The praise is silent. It's, it's there and it's ready to erupt, but it's still in that silent mode. It's like the choir or the orchestra just in that time of silence before it begins. But there's this time of silence. Praise waiteth for thee, O God. It's there, it's ready to erupt, ready to come forth. But it's there silent, waiting for God. It's gathered together. That there's a quietness ready for the uttering forth of that praise. There's a reverential waiting of those who are waiting, satisfied with the blessings of God, and they want to sing forth with this praise. But it's there ready to come. Unto thee shall the vow be performed. It doesn't say which vow this is. A vow was a promise that the children of Israel made unto God and that it would be carried out. We see in this psalm of praise that it would be carried out accordingly. And maybe it was that note of praise. It's the promises that the children of Israel had made that the vow will be the word is performed. <laughs> we say that's not a biblical word, Pastor Christi, performed. But it's here in our Bibles. It's presented, it's set forth, it's made good, it's completed, it's rendered. It's there, it utters forth that praise that is unto God. And it will be that note of rejoicing that will come forth. But that praise is there. And that deliberate and voluntary vow unto God, I believe, includes that whole praise. And whether it's donation or service, it would include that praise because it's a psalm of praise. And that vow of God's people would be unto God because the bounty of God was so great. God had crowned the year with, with goodness. It was his goodness. In verse 13, we read, The bounty of God makes the earth vocal with praise. An interesting comment. There's a joyful shout that comes forth. We read even here, The voice of nature has that song. It's got the, there's going to be that eruption. There's going to be that praise. There's going to be that acknowledgement of the very goodness of God and how he has crowned the year with his goodness. The psalm of praise would come forth. Finally, thanksgiving for God's goodness. We are to be thankful. As Pastor shared today, thankful that um, throughout time following the flood, it wasn't left in that 
point of negativity and pessimism because after the flood, after God had brought that judgment on the earth, the Lord smelled a sweet savour and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. God has made that promise, and God's promise comes forth. Psalm 147, verse 7, Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. And truly, we can sing unto the Lord, acknowledging his physical provision and his spiritual provision. And by his power, he's made it. Some verses there in the middle of Psalm 65 talk about the greatness of God's power. It's been God's power. It's been God's work. It's been God's doing. It's all of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In Psalm 103, it's all about God. It's all about the Lord. It all comes back to him. I will sing the mighty power of God and all that he has done. He has provided for us in this land. And God saves. God forgives our sins. And we need to come to him in confession because that's a pathway we must have. Confession. I don't know where you're at today if you're one who is a believer in Jesus Christ or not a believer. If you are a believer, you need to have those regular pathways of confession under God making right and renewing that fellowship. If you're still not part of that family of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to speak to someone concerning salvation in Jesus Christ because God is real. Death is real. Death is before us. Life is but a vapour. It can be cut short at any time. And the, the old men of old, women of old knew this. And when they talked about natural harvest, they understood the spiritual need as well. It was provided. In end times, we read that people will be unthankful. They won't be thankful. And I see some signs of that now where there's ingratitude more, more often. And I say, Lord, keep us from that. Keep us from it. In our church, in our homes, in our community, in our nation, Lord, keep us from that ingratitude. May we be thankful and may we look to God in gratitude for all the gracious things that he has done. Let's pray, shall we? Loving Father, we are grateful for your marvellous and gracious provisions. If there be one in our midst who knows you not, a saviour from sin, we pray that that one would come to Christ for salvation. But Father, for those who are in the faith, who know Jesus Christ as Saviour, we pray that they may be thankful today. Truly, Lord, thou knowest the heart, and we pray that they may be thankful. Father, it may be tough this last week, this last year, whatever it might be, but yet, Father, we pray that they would be thankful. Look past the trial and see you as the God, the Lord, the mighty one of power, and Father, look to you in faith, trusting to work all matters through to your glory and to your honour to provide the rain 
and to crown the year with goodness. Thou art a mighty God, a powerful God, a God to whom we come in worship today, and we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you?